welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, we take a look at a familiar story, the story of Mary and Martha, as Pastor Dana brings us a sermon called Martha, Martha. Let's listen. In this retelling of the Mary and Martha story, we see Jesus coming to their home, and it's Mary who is sitting at Jesus' feet. While Martha is the one that's running around the house frantically tending to the many tasks at hand. Well, after Martha gets frustrated with her sister's idle behavior, she storms over to Jesus and petitions him to reprimand her. And Jesus surprises all of us because Jesus doesn't reprimand Mary. Instead, he turns to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. As he reprimands Martha, he says her name twice. At first glance, we might easily skip over that fact. We might not pay much attention to that detail. We might just think, well, maybe Jesus stuttered. Or maybe the scribe that was recording this story just accidentally wrote Martha's name twice. And these are all good and valid hypotheses as to why her name appears twice. But once you start to dig a little deeper into the rhetoric, there lies some significant meaning, especially when you see a name show up twice in Scripture. In ancient biblical days, a double salutation was a Hebrew expression of intimacy. It also signified two things. First, it signified that the person that God was speaking to was very important to God. It also signified that God had something of extreme importance to say to that individual. Throughout the entire Bible, there are eight instances in which we see a person's name show up twice, back to back. The first example is in the Old Testament, When God calls out to Abraham, this happens in Genesis 22. In that passage, God gives Abraham one last test of faith. Abraham is to climb this mountain and to sacrifice his only son. And Abraham is ready to obey. And just before Abraham sacrifices his son, he hears the angel of the Lord interrupt him. And the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds, he says, here I am. And as the story unfolds, Abraham passes the test, proving that he will obey God at every cost. And the Lord provides a ram as a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. Abraham is then told that he will be blessed and his descendants will multiply. In this instance, when the double salutation is used, we see that, first of all, Abraham was a very important person to God. And secondly, that God had something of extreme importance to say to him. The list of people goes on. Next on the list of people who God spoke to using their name twice was Jacob. In Genesis chapter 46 Jacob finds out in this chapter that his son Joseph isn't actually dead. He learns that his son Joseph is second in command in the Egyptian empire. Jacob is old, and he wants to see his son Joseph, but he's worried about whether he'll be able to make that journey to Egypt. At which point, he has a vision. 
And in this vision, the Lord shows up and says, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob responds and says, here I am, Lord. God responds and tells Jacob to not be afraid, that Joseph and his descendants will become a great nation in the foreign land. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, God used this same double salutation. When God called out to Moses this way, Moses had just killed an Egyptian. He had fled from Pharaoh's punishment. He was living as a shepherd for his father-in-law in the wilderness. One day Moses sees this burning bush, this bush that's on fire, a mysterious sight. And then he hears God's voice calling out from that, those flames. God says, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds and says, here I am. And through that discourse, God calls Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery. When God called Samuel to be his servant, he used Samuel's name twice as well. Samuel was asleep in the tabernacle, and he hears his name called out in the middle of the night. Young Samuel assumes that it's just the high priest calling for him. But soon he realized that it was a far greater voice. And after that night, Samuel became the mouthpiece for God. He became a judge, a high priest, an anointer of kings. This double salutation continued into the New Testament. We first see it take place in Luke 22. In this part of Luke, this is where Jesus had just had his last supper with the disciples. After that in evening or that meal, the apostles start to bicker about which one of them is the greatest. And so Jesus calls Simon Peter out, and Simon Peter come, approaches Jesus, and Jesus tells him that Peter will deny him, but yet he will still go on to do great things for the Christian faith. And we know that Simon Peter denounced Jesus three times, but yet he was still a faithful apostle in that early church. Acts chapter 9, this is the road to Damascus story, where the young Pharisee Saul is headed to Damascus so that he can imprison as many Christians as possible. He even has papers from the high priest saying that he's allowed to take these Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem. But on the way, Saul is blinded by a vision, a flash of light. And in that vision, God calls out to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the beginning of Saul's conversion story, where his name is changed to Paul, and he becomes a zealous follower of Christ. He spends the rest of his life converting people to Christianity. There's one other instance before we get back to Martha. And in this instance, this is where one member of the Trinity cries out to another member of the Trinity. As Jesus is suffering on the cross, he cries out the iconic words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says this to his father just before he breathes his last breath. In each of these instances, especially in that last one, the use of the double salutation signifies a personal and intimate relationship between God and that individual. And it signifies 
that what is being said is of vital importance. In each of these instances, when God or Jesus used the double salutation, it was because he wanted to get that person's attention. And what God had to say was exceedingly important for that individual and their future. In many instances, it signaled a shift or a change in behavior or a change in lifestyle. In many instances, we heard how people were called to leave what they were doing, to become a servant for the Lord, to become a prophet for God, or they are called to carry out God's purpose for their life. So when we hear Martha's name repeated twice in this story, these are the ears that we should hear that with. This is the lens that we should view this message the type of understanding that we should have about what Jesus was saying. The repeating of her name twice, it signals a significant change in her behavior or a change in Martha's lifestyle. In this case, when Jesus says Martha's name twice, he says to her, you are worried, you are distracted about many things, and only one thing is needed. As you know, it was Mary that was sitting at Jesus' feet. It was Martha that was running around the house frantically, probably preparing food, getting Jesus' bed ready for that evening. And while those tasks that Martha were tending to were important, they needed to be taken care of, the problem was that Martha was worried. She was distracted by these things. And Jesus was calling her, to change that behavior, to change that lifestyle where she was worried and distracted by much. Jesus was calling her to a new way of life where she could take advantage of the more important things in life, to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn from him, to listen to what he was saying, to draw close to God. And I wonder how many of us would fail this same test. I wonder how many of us would tend to act like the Martha in this story, where we run around busy all day. I wonder how many of us would have a hard time being Mary, actually sitting down, resting, being idle. We are a busybody world that says if you want to be successful, then you better get busy. In the U.S., 86% of males and 67% of females work more than 40 hours per week. According to the International Labor Organization, Americans work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers. Americans work 260 more hours per year than British workers. And Americans work almost 500 more hours a year than French workers. Those are astounding differences. All of this leads us to say things like, I have way too much on my plate, or I'm overworked and underpaid, or there's just not enough hours in the day. So why are we so busy? What is causing this overabundance of busyness in our lives? Well, the Huffington Post had a couple ideas as to why we are so busy. They released an article that had seven reasons why we are so busy. The first reason is that busyness is a badge of honor, a trendy status symbol 
Busyness shows that we are important. It shows our self-worth, our value in a fast-paced society. Number two, busyness is job security. It's an outward sign of productivity. It shows that you are loyal to your company. Number three, and I probably fall victim to this one, busyness is FOMO, the fear of missing out. We pack our calendars full because we don't want to miss a thing. Number four, busyness is a byproduct of the digital age. We live in a 24-7 connected culture, and it is easy to blur the line between work and regular personal life. It is hard to disconnect. Number five, busyness is a time filler. We have infinite ways at our fingertips to fill in that idle time, either online or offline. Number six, busyness as a necessity. We have to work hard and many hours to make ends meet. And if you have children, it doesn't stop when you clock out. You go home to your second shift job. Number seven, busyness as escapism. It is just easier to stay busy than to wrestle with some of the tough things in life. All of these are good and accurate ways in which at one point or another, we fall victim to the busyness of life. We have a hard time sitting down and being idle, or we feel guilty when we actually take time for ourselves. But the casualty of not slowing down and taking time for ourselves is that we get burned out, or our relationships suffer because we don't have time for people, or when we do gather together with people, we're short or we're curt because we're overextended. The casualty to this busyness is that we miss out on things in life, the things that matter most, the things that are truly important and that we were intended to enjoy. The most comparable illustration that comes to mind is Thanksgiving. The idea of Thanksgiving is great, it is wonderful, but what takes place leading up to Thanksgiving is not so great and wonderful. While growing up, Thanksgiving was not this fun, relaxing day spent with family. In fact, it was quite the opposite. There were child labor laws that were being broken in my home. (laughs) My mother worked my sister and I to the bone. There was arguing. There was stress in the kitchen. People were just running around the house frantically, cleaning, cooking food, trying to host and prepare for guests. And finally, once everyone sat down at the table, the mood lightened a little bit. And we were expected to just forget everything that took place those several hours prior. We were supposed to then enjoy everyone's company. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. When he says to Martha, don't get distracted by the many things. Don't allow yourself to be pulled in many directions. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried, you are distracted about many things to the point where you are missing out on what matters most. What was most important in that moment was to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn from him, to draw close to God, to be in relationship with him. What was most important during those childhood thanksgivings was to be with each other, 
to enjoy our time with one another, to be in relationship with each other. What was most important was not if the biscuits were going to be fluffy enough or if the turkey was going to be too dry. What was most important was to build these wonderful, lasting memories of our time together. In a day and age where we are too busy, we are distracted and stressed about many things, this passage invites us to create a new pattern for ourselves. In a day and age where we measure our self-worth on our level of productivity, this passage calls us to a different lifestyle. Jesus is calling us to a behavior and a mindset where we find our value and our self-worth in the fact that we are a beloved child of God. He's asking us to not measure our success on our level of busyness and productivity, instead to measure our success on our level of intimacy with God. While much of our busyness and our distraction stems from the noblest of intentions, where we just want to provide for our families, we want to give our children every opportunity, and so we work hard to provide that. Yet if all of our activities leave us with little to no time to be still in the Lord's presence and to hear God's voice, then we are missing out on one of the most important things in life, and that is God. Or if all of our activities and busyness leaves us with little time to be still with others and enjoy those relationships, then we're missing out on another important thing in life, and that is one another. While tasks do need to get accomplished, and there's a time when work needs to get done, then it becomes a matter of spiritual discernment, discerning when you are to go and do, and discerning when you should sit and rest, discerning the balance of work and rest. And as we try to understand how we discern that balance— as we wrap our minds around how idleness is just as important as busyness, then I'll share a short story with you. Long ago, I heard a story about two gentlemen, and one of the men challenged the other individual to an all-day wood-chopping competition. So all day, these men were going to chop wood, and at the end of the day, they would count the wood to see who was most productive. And so all day, that's what these two individuals did. Well, one man took a different approach. He worked tirelessly all day long, did not stop for lunch, just kind of scarfed down his sandwich and went back to work. And the other individual took a different approach. He decided to leisurely chop this wood. He had a nice long lunch. He took several breaks throughout the day. And at the end of the day, they counted the wood. And they found that the individual who had taken the leisurely lunch and had taken several breaks chopped more wood than the person who worked tirelessly all day. And so the man who had worked tirelessly approaches the other gentleman. He says, how can this even be possible? You just kind of sat around all day. I worked hard. I did more. Surely I did. And the gentleman said, well, you might not have noticed. But every time I sat down for a break, I was sharpening my axe. Sometimes it can be hard to slow down and rest, and it seems counterintuitive to do so. 
but sometimes slowing down and resting is what strengthens us so that we can be more efficient when we get back up again. In this passage, Jesus reminds all of us that it is important to sit and rest, to rest in God's presence, to rest in each other's presence. One of the most valuable things we have in life are our relationships. Our relationships with one another, and most certainly our relationship with God. And we have to back away from that busyness in life in order to nurture those relationships. As we reflect more on the story of Mary and Martha, may we reflect on the importance of this double salutation. And may we hear God calling our own name twice, repeating our name and calling us to a different lifestyle, one where we cherish our relationship with God and with one another, one where we rest and spend time nurturing those relationships that are most important in life. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.